up on today's show, we'll try and get you started on the right foot for 2023. Kelly Keene will join us, a personal finance educator, best-selling author. What about mental health? We'll talk about that, getting off on the right foot too for 2023. And you've probably heard this before, democracy under attack, at risk, in peril. What does that mean? And what's going wrong? Um, so the holidays are over now. This is that's the good news. I I I don't like the they call them the zombie weeks, the dead weeks, whatever you want to call them. There's that. I mean, Sarah and I were here last week, and we were literally the only two. Um, it was crazy. Most of the shows were on hiatus, or whatever. So it was weird. It's a strange time, and you know what it's like. The offices are kind of open, but not really. I mean, it's just weird. It's a weird time of the year. So I'm glad that's behind us, and we're sort of all on the same page now. Today is really like the start of the new year in a lot of ways, because we're all back. The the holidays are over. I think most kids are still out for another week, but those of us that have to go to work uh, are pretty much back on the job. Holidays over. Hangover may linger for a little while, and the financial hangover may be just only about to hit, unfortunately, for a lot of people. It happens every year. We talk about it every year, but this year, as we know, a little bit different because we've seen a lot of pressures on our bottom line over the past 12 months. Just think about how much has changed uh, when we talk about the rate of inflation. You know, we're running 11, 12% during the summer. Then you've got interest rates that have gone up 4% in this country, um, uh, unprecedented leap. So a lot of it has changed. And I imagine people are in a bit of a spot heading into 2023. To help us find our best way through it all, Kelly Keene is joining us. Kelly, uh, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us today. Happy New Year, Shay. Always great to be with you. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think it's probably more important this year. I mean, it's always important, but probably more so as we head into 2023, because 2022, really, for all of us in one way or another, was a wild ride, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brutal. Like you said, inflation, rising interest rates. I mean, it's everywhere you look, it's more expensive. And you know what? If that were just for like a couple of months, okay, people can weather that. But it's been like a a brutal year for people, and it's not looking like it's going to change much uh, in the coming months. So, yeah, really tough for a lot of people financially. And we have our traditional hardship as we head into January, and we'll get to that in a second. But do you think, and I think there were some surveys that indicated that more Canadians were in a tough spot heading into December, and the holidays where spending can sometimes get out of hand than in other years just because of, like, the things we talked about, inflation and interest rates and all that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's always some survey. We'll see how it shakes out uh, of people saying they were going to spend less, uh, you know, sticker shock, all of that. Did they actually spend less? Did they throw it on a high interest rate credit card? Did they get a payday loan? Probably not going to know those numbers for a few weeks anyway. Yeah. So if you're in that spot, that's the thing. When those bills start to arrive, right? It happens every January and people are like, oh, I overdid it. Um, what, what can we do now? Don't just wait, right? I mean, you always tell us that's the worst thing to do is sit and wait. Get going, right? Yeah, it's unfortunate because it feels like every year, and and probably talked to you for a lot of years, Shay, it's like that Seinfeld episode, right? It's like, you know, just before dinner, everyone's ordering appetizers and everything, and then the bill comes, it's like, who ordered that? Who ordered that? (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's the same way, too. You're just like, oh, why did I not think of my future self, right? But the reality is, is you've got to shake it off, and, and you're the only one that can save yourself. So, I know, I know a lot of stuff is unfair right now and you can just go down the rabbit hole of complaining about it or you can get yourself out of apathy, out of inertia and do something about it. So three simple things. 
that I think people should do, and then I can break them out, Shay. Okay. So number one, just like today, I was at the gym early this morning. Uh, just like with your health, if you're trying to, you know, rein it back, there's three simple things you do. Number one is you take stock, you weigh in. Uh, I can I can unpack that. Number two, you've got to to look at your your calories, right? Doesn't matter how much you work out, it's those calories. Same thing, your financial calories. And number three, you've got to know when you need help mm-hmm. because you just there's not everything that you can do on your own when it comes to your finances. So if you want, let's unpack the first part. Yeah, I mean, is that is that kind of like the old 12-step? The, the first step is to yeah. admit that you have a problem and get an honest assessment of where you really are? Well, and you started off, Shay, saying, you know, don't wait for the credit card bills yeah, to come yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. We all bank online, or, or 99% of us do. Hop on there, look now. So first thing is is weighing in, and, and what I want you to do, and this is hard. Like, Shay, this sounds like a little tick of the box of your to-do list. It's not. And it can actually, like, physically make people sick to go and look at what they've spent. Yeah. Um, you know, what their credit card interest rate is. And so they just stay in apathy because they know they're going to get really irritated yep. and upset and they're just like, whatever. But if you don't do that, you don't know where you sit and also you don't know where you can make it better. So, for example, uh, I hope this motivates some people if they uh, do have high interest rate credit card bills and you're only making the minimum payment. I'm not even asking you to find one cent more. But let's say, for example, you had $10,000 on a credit card, 24% interest rate, only making the minimum payment. If you call up your bank and you get into a lower interest rate card, all of them have a card that's around 12%, no bells and whistles, no rewards points, but mm-hmm. you don't need that if you're paying your minimum. That one move alone is going to save you over $4,000 paying that credit card balance with no extra money that you put on there. Wow. So no one's going to call you up and do that. Actually, I was talking to a Winnipeg radio host, and afterwards, he actually he was like, shoot, I think I'm in a 12% rate card. No. He texted me on, on Instagram and said, yeah, I wasn't at 24%. I lowered it down, and, and he got his fees cut and everything. He saved 500 bucks just talking wow. to his banker, doing a bunch of stuff, and he's going to save so much more uh, throughout the year. So this is this thing. No one can come and look at your situation uh, unless you've got a planner or, you know, financial planner or, or a credit counselor. And by all means, if you're struggling, if you just can't do it on your own, that was my third tip, right. is, is get some help. You know, in Alberta, we've got uh, money mentors. We've got some great nonprofit credit counselors. I always encourage people just to call up your bank. Like, if you don't have time to wait on hold... Go on your app, go on your bank's app, and you can actually book a call for them to call you. Let them know if you're having a hard time. Uh, Make it their problem to come up with some solutions for you to maybe defer your payments, or maybe they can negotiate a better interest rate. Like, you don't have to figure this all out yourself, Shay. There is help out there. And banks are are more than willing to take that call and to, to help you with some sort of a plan? You know what? Generally, they are. So here's the times where they're not. If you've already missed payments, you're going to be uh, less in a position to negotiate. But still, don't be afraid to call them up because they don't want you to default. Like, this is what you really need to get is that 
They don't want you to default. They don't want to come and take your house. They want to work with you. But, you know, if you make promises and you don't keep them, that's where it gets really tough. So keep the lines of communication going. Even if you miss the payments, you didn't do what you said, or, or if it's Revenue Canada, it doesn't matter who your creditor is. Being silent is the worst possible thing you can do because then they have to assume you're not going to pay and then their wheels go are set in motion. So keep those lines of communication going. If you call a call center once and you don't get the answer that you like, call back. You'll get a different person. Ask for a manager. But but 99 out of 100 times, Shay, people have told me that they are pleasantly surprised when they call their bank, when they call their credit card company, that they are willing to work with them. But that's great news. And I, I guess what it comes down to, Kelly, is you just got to you gotta swallow the pride, right? I mean, nobody wants to phone a bank or phone anybody and say, hey, listen, I'm having a real hard time. I, I'm broke. Like, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. But that's the first step that you've got to take, right? Well, and I think it's more people kind of thought of themselves like a business. Yeah. You you take the emotion away from it. It's like, you know, okay, you're now the business owner of you, Inc. So Shay, Inc. You are no longer a person. There's no shame in this. There's budgets. There's, uh, you know, we, we don't have enough, like like a company would think, right? Yeah. Like, so what what do we do now? And and you do your best to take the emotion out of it because, yeah, it's not it's not personal. You, you're, you're a good person, uh, but you need this situation to be fixed, and you need to take the emotions out as much as you can. What are we expecting in 2023? I mean, it depends who you talk to. Recession? No, there won't be a recession. Employment's great. Employment's terrible. I mean, yeah. if you're sort of in this position right now, what's on the horizon? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Well, and the thing is, it really doesn't matter if it's a recession for you. Like, right. uh, you know, it, it, is your industry going through a tough time? There's industries that no matter how good the market is doing, they're not doing well. So it's really taking stock. What is your industry? What is your skill set? Um, you know, there is nothing that's going to bring more money into your life than your career. So, you know, don't take all your focus on paying down your debt and worrying and lamenting about that. Uh, spend a lot of your focus on how do you bring in more money? Like, do you need to go back to school? Can you increase your skill set? Maybe you can use your RSPs and you can, uh, you know, to, to, to find some money to go back to school. Like, if that is going to make the difference and put you in a whole different income bracket or, uh, you know, a side hustle, whatever it is, Shay, like, we don't spend enough money talking about, or don't spend enough money, don't spend enough time. <laughs> talking about how to bring in more money and if you're not even asking that question i can guarantee you're not thinking about it yeah exactly i think you're absolutely right and that's the tendency at least for me is when you know things are a little bit sketchy just ignore it it'll go away i mean of course it won't (laughs) but i think a lot of people opt into that so uh just pick up the phone and get the help kelly that that's what your message has been uh consistently and i think it makes so much sense just just reach out and get some help because help is available yeah, and you know what? If you can't do it today, make your calendar, make your digital calendar your friend. Just put in, I don't care. If it's Thursday morning at, at, at seven o'clock, you're going to spend 10 minutes on your finances and have it reoccur. And just having that is going to be a reminder to be like, Hey, I'm just going to think for 10 minutes a week about my finances and try to make it even a little bit better. Like just pay what you appreciate appreciates, you know? Yeah, exactly. Kelly, as always, the best advice available. Thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Happy New Year, everybody.
Hope it is a happy new year, but I'm not sure. I'm just taking a look at, you know, the recent surveys, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this half hour. Uh, for example, here's one that just came out uh, from Felix, which is an online ment- uh, health platform. They deal with mental health, all kinds of things. But they did a survey, put out this late last month. One in four of the people that they asked said their mental health declines over the holidays. Many experience a very mixed bag of emotions and they say the most common issues that people present are depression and anxiety impacting 39 percent of canadians another thing and we can get into this because it's something that i think is pretty important we need to talk about it more uh 60 percent of the people who responded to this poll by felix said yeah they'd be in therapy they'd go to therapy more or start going to therapy if it were more affordable. So we know that mental health is something that we are starting to pay more attention to, which is good, um, but we know the holidays are a tough time. So how do we get off on the right foot in 2023? We're going to get some expert advice. We're going to chat with Kim Cannell, who's a registered psychologist and owner of Courageous Leadership. Kim, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Yes, no problem. Good morning. Hey, before we get to 2023, let's talk about 2022. Uh, I think the last, I'd say, three years have probably been really, really tough to navigate. For I don't care who you are. You haven't gotten through the last three years unscathed. We've all had to deal with something. So where do you think people are as we head into 2023 in terms of overall mental health of Canadians? Are you seeing a lot of people that are really having a tough go right now? Yeah, I am. Uh, I think that we definitely depleted our resources, you know, over the last few years that, you know, the resilience that we had um, was tested for sure. And, you know, I think since our brains love certainty, I think the thing that really hit hard for us the most is how uncertain our world was. And even though our world is always uncertain. I think our brains kind of lull us into this sense of security when things kind of plot along as they always have. So then when major things happen in our world, either personally or, you know, globally, it really, it really puts it in our face that, you know, anything can happen at any time. And and we don't like that as a human species. We don't like uncertainty. (laughs) And then the fact that, you know, like if something comes along really big and really calamitous and we deal with it and then we we have stable waters again for a little while, that's one thing, but we haven't had that break. It seems like it's just one thing after another. That's got to make the uncertainty, which as you say, we know is really, really difficult for us to handle. The fact that it never Mm -hmm. ends for the last three years, that can't be helpful either. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. And I also see that people are starting to get better. We're starting to flex that resilience muscle where it's like, okay, this isn't going away. This isn't a one-time thing. This is clearly a muscle that we need to strengthen and, and get better at. And so I am seeing people being better able to deal with things and also be able to recognize, okay, there's some stuff in my life I've been avoiding for a really long time. It's time to just deal with it so it's not weighing me down anymore. When we talk about the holidays specifically, and we're just coming through them, so I imagine there's a lot of people that are in a really fragile state right now. What is it that brings out more stress and more anxiety and more depression? And we hear just one survey after another talking about Canadians and how much difficulty they face over the holidays. Why is that? It's interesting. I see both in my practice. I see, you know, the holidays as a time of rest and renewal and 
gathering for people. But I also think that it can be, you know, a reminder of things we've lost in the year too. So grief is a big thing that comes up. Family issues that, you know, haven't been addressed during the year seem to be a little more stressful at this time of year, right? So, and and honestly, I think that the biggest thing that stresses people out is this unrealistic expectation of what we think the holidays should be. And so we're too tired, we're too busy, we're spending too much money, we're too stressed. And then that really puts us in a, you know, kind of a losing situation when we, you know, have so much going on and we're trying to be happy and you're not feeling happy. And yeah, then we have these expectations that we're not meeting. Yeah. And then you go on social media and everybody that you know is sharing these wonderful pictures of the celebrations that they're at, even though their lives may be total dumpster fires, they can still put together one good picture to make it look like everything's grand. That That's a big factor too, isn't it? We all compare each other to what's happening with our friends and our family because we see it all the time now. Well, I think social media definitely highlights that. And our brains actually do that naturally anyway. Our brains tell us that no one else is experiencing what we're experiencing, that everybody else's lives look great and that we're the only ones that can't get it together or can't save money or can't lose weight or whatever it is. Right. And so, but that's not true. We don't, (laughs) our brains are lying to us. (laughs) Everybody has struggles. We just don't see them, but it feels like, you know, no one else has problems. Kim, can you hang on for just a sec? I'll take a quick break, and then we can talk about how to get people started off on the right foot for 2023. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We're chatting with Kim Cannell, who is a registered psychologist and owner of Courageous Leadership. So, yeah, if you've been having a tough go, and hey, no shame in that. We all have. It's been crazy the past few years. How do we make sure we're getting started off on the right foot for 2023? We'll find out right after this. We're chatting with Kim Cannell, who is a registered psychologist and the owner of Courageous Leadership, about how crazy things have been for the past few years, how holidays often bring on more issues in terms of uh, negative mental health impact. So here we are. All that's behind us now. It's in the past, whether we like it or not, whether it went well or not, doesn't matter. Looking forward, heading into 2023, how can we turn things around if we feel we need to? And Kim, I guess that's a big question, right? Because at, at times it can all seem sort of overwhelming. It can be tough to just find a place to start, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all of you know what to do, okay? I'm not going to go over it, but I'm going to give you some extra tips because, okay. you know, we all know, you know, exercise, sleep, yep. eating well, that's helpful. But why is it so hard? So let me give you some tips on that. Okay. Number one, I talked about the brain a little bit earlier. The brain doesn't like to be uncomfortable. And so any kind of change that we try and make in our life, our brain says, oh, no, 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 that's that's just way too hard. And it does, you know, we don't have to believe our thoughts because they're not always 100% true. And so, you know, if we think about, oh, I need to eat more vegetables or drink more water and or, you know, take a walk and our brain says, no, this is where we need to talk back to our brains and say, okay, it might feel uncomfortable for a second, but it actually in the long term does me good. And I'm actually happy when I do it. And so, you know, that's the first thing is addressing the thoughts that protest change in our lives. The second thing is, and we often find this with New Year's resolutions, is we try and bite off more than we can do. Right. So our goals are too big, too fast. We have to actually take 
really small steps. So what's the one small thing you can think of doing to work towards your goal? Does it mean, you know, setting out a water bottle so you can drink more water in a day? Does it mean, you know, going for a 15-minute walk or even a five-minute walk? You don't have to join a gym necessarily. That's also good. Mm -hmm. But if you, if it's too big of a goal, just do small things every day because they really, really do add up. Another piece that is really, really helpful is we can't underestimate the importance of gratitude in our lives. People think that great, you know, happy people are grateful, but it's actually the opposite. When we practice gratitude, it makes us happier because we have a negativity bias in our brain where we, you know, look for things that, you know, could hurt us or, or make us upset. I mean, our brains are scanning for threats in our environment and often our brain doesn't look for positive things. So if we try and retrain it with a gratitude practice, which is every day, just saying one, two or three things that you're grateful for, you can journal it, you can talk about it then your brain actually starts to look for more of the things that are positive in our lives that we're missing when we're not paying attention to it. You're talking about things that are practical and take practice, right? Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got to sort of form new habits around self-talk, the way you talk to yourself, and the way you recognize the yeah. world that you're living in and, and focusing on the positive. It takes practice, right? It's, it's, a, it's a process. It does. It is, you know, and the best way that we can make this happen, but we don't always have to make the decision to do these things that are helpful for us. The best thing to do is to put it in some kind of routine, right? So if you have it in your calendar and you do it every day, then you don't have to think about it. So if every day after dinner, you go for, you know, walk around the block, that really adds up in terms of your health. And it doesn't take a lot of extra decision making power. So, you know, start small, do small things, but put it in a routine so that um, you're doing the same thing every day. And then it doesn't become a question as to whether or not you should do it. Um, what about asking for help, seeking help, getting some help? I mean, a lot of these things like mm-hmm. you're talking about are things you certainly can do on your own. Um, how much, mm-hmm. how important is it to make sure that you are reaching out for help when it's available? Yeah, you know, I always say to people, that you can do a lot of things on your own, but when you have support, when you've got even a professional involved, you'll just get it done that much faster Mm -hmm. because you don't have to go through the trial and error of what worked, what didn't work, how do I analyze that, how do I keep track of it? Someone in your corner can, especially a professional, can just help you get there exponentially faster. So, I mean, whether it's a friend, a family member that supports you that you can kind of you know, um, bounce ideas off of, or like I say, a professional, go to a psychologist, go to a social worker, you know, talk about what you want to talk about. It's, it's really surprising. Even in my own life, I also have a therapist. It is always surprising to me how fast I come to new conclusions and new ideas about things once I talk it through with someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, as, as somebody who works in this industry, I, I was not surprised at all to read that 60% of respondents said they would go to therapy or go more if it were more affordable. How big of a barrier is cost mm-hmm. to mental health in our country? You know, 
it is absolutely. And I think that a lot of companies are starting to get yeah, better at providing their mental health benefits. Yep. And so as big of a problem as, you know, wait lists are, because we do have Alberta Health Services, we do have services like Momentum where you can pay what you can in Edmonton. Um, but a big thing I see in my practice is people aren't using all their benefits. I can't even tell you how many people called me in December saying, oh, I have 12 sessions. <laughs> I can't possibly <laughs> use all of them, but I want to get started, right? Like start using your benefits now. Most of them roll over in January. Yep. So get get started on it and uh, you'll be surprised how much that can help you and how quickly that can help you um, if you just get going on it. I really do think though, Part of it is cost and part of it is also the stigma where we feel nervous or that we'll be judged yeah, by a mental sure. health professional if we'll go, if we, you know, talk about the things that are really happening. And I'm going to tell you, we are the least judgmental people. <laughs> we, we've talked to lots of people. We, we think people are the hardest on themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, our job is not to add to it. Our job is to help you understand it so that you can figure it out and, you know, go about things a different way. So, and I can you second know. that. I, you, you've seen a bunch of us, and I've seen a bunch of you. And uh, you're right. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's I've never found it to be anything other than absolutely positive. So, um, I really appreciate you being here today, Kim. And hopefully, some people heed your advice and get started on a better 2023. Something we've talked about before, and I'm really, really interested in, and I've been talking to you about the fact that we need to be really, really careful with where we're headed when it comes to democracy, not just in Canada, but around the world. There is no shortage of analysts and authors and experts and pundits who have all been saying it for a while now, right? Even some former leaders of, well, provinces and countries have said it. Jason Kenney talked about this. Democracy is in danger. Things have changed drastically. The pillars that have held up liberal democracy from the beginning have slowly but surely been eroded in some places. Add to the list of those sounding the alarm Mark Kingwell, who is an author and a professor of philosophy at the University of Toronto, recently wrote a piece on this very topic in the Globe and Mail and has uh, found some time to join us this morning. Mark, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be with you. So when we talk about democracy being under attack, democracy is a big word, a big concept, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So let's start by defining what it is that we're talking about here when we say democracy is at risk. What do we, what do we, what do we mean by that? Well, that's the question I think is central to this whole debate because, uh, one of the things that prompted me to write my article was, uh, seeing so many commentaries about the decline of democracy, yeah. the rise of, of autocracy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is it, um, you know, as we do a year-end assessment in good health or bad health and so on. And uh, people, people are divided, as you mentioned. Most people, I think, including uh, experts from NGOs and political science departments and so on, are worried about the state of democracy. But a lot of times what I found thinking about these debates is people don't define what they mean. And so I, I wanted to go one level up, at least, and ask the question, what do we mean when we use the word democracy? It's almost always a kind of uh, uh, piety or, you know, um, a, a, a form of um, special pleading. Mm -hmm. We say democracy as if we all know what it means and it's a good thing uh, unconditionally. Um, and anything that's not democracy is worse. 
uh, I think there, there's a way to cash out those claims, but for the most part, people don't really examine no. or defend a particular notion of democracy. So uh, if you ask me, which you did, <laughs> um, I think the most interesting kind of democracy is a democracy of relation or fellowship. So I conclude my piece with what I call an existential conception of democracy, which is shared vulnerability, so that we recognize in each other the threats that, that challenge that we us. Face, and what's at risk? Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, of course, institutions are important. Uh, free and open elections are important. A free press is important, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these things can be debated, are they in good health or not? Underlying all of those, foundationally, I think, is this idea that we recognize when we look at our fellow citizens, our fellow human beings, and even other kinds of, of entities, uh, some animals, maybe some non-human entities that are coming down the road from AI and other sources, and we say, I recognize that entity as morally significant and hence politically significant. And that's a very old thought, uh, but it's one that, that constantly needs renewing. Uh, so I think the debates about electoral systems, uh, institutions, very, very important, essential, in fact. But we have to recall again and again that what, it, what got us to this, this stage of assessing the, the health or ill health of democracy is that shared concern with uh, vulnerability. So are you on board with those who say that democracy as we know it or the institutions of democracy and like you say maybe it's not an institution maybe it's a it's a community involvement I mean do do you agree that some of these things that we rely on are in peril when it comes to our democracies I do actually I mean I'm I'm persuaded by the evidence that I've seen as most people probably are Yeah yeah uh, from from very reliable sources that if you track certain statistics uh there's there's, there's much to worry about uh, I think autocracies are inherently unstable, however, and not that democracies are, are necessarily inherently stable themselves, but they have a good track record when institutions are uh, in, in good order of being able to adapt and maintain themselves over time and over many kinds of challenge. Uh, so I'm optimistic, even though I am very, very uh, cognizant of uh, just how many challenges there are. I think the fact that we're having this debate is good. Yeah. It's, you know, as if we're, we're saying, okay, well, where, where does the needle stand between democracy and autocracy? Uh, that's, that's a healthy exercise. And we, when we have vivid and, and highly nasty examples of autocracy that seem to be at least momentarily thriving, I'm thinking of Putin's Russia, sure. uh, of Iran, the Taliban, uh, some of the examples I gave in my piece and well known to everyone. We can see this up close and personal, right? And, uh, and some of the things that are closer to home, which are not nearly as, as deep a challenge, yeah, yeah. but nevertheless are worrisome when power is concentrated without uh, transparency or accountability. Uh, that's bad. That's just bad um, for a politics that, that purports to be uh, in the service of citizens. So uh, those challenges are, are present, too, and need to be addressed. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, provincial leaders. I talk about that. Municipal leaders here in Ontario, we have this strong mayor policy um, that the premier here has instituted, which gives tremendous power to uh, individuals in large metropolitan areas, uh, Ottawa, Toronto. Um, it's unprecedented, and uh, that's a slippery slope. So um, it's, it doesn't all have to look like, you know, Putin's Russia to be 
tending towards autocratic uh, depredations. You're absolutely right, and, and and it's some of the you know some of the some of the things that we've sort of just taken for granted. I think in a lot of ways that um, you know seem to be a little less you know certain that they used to be. But I guess the question I have, Mark, is when you're talking about democracy, isn't that part of democracy isn't that sort of because i mean it's not just the leaders i think the leaders who who tap into these feelings and use it to their own benefit and to consolidate their own power are, are one issue but us as voters seem to be willing to give up some of the things that we used to absolutely see as steadfast pillars and no we're free and we're a democratic society we're willing to fudge those a little bit now and i guess in a way isn't that democratic well it's a curious paradox or conundrum at the heart of democracy, especially we, we want to be specific, liberal democracy, yeah. which is to say uh, something, uh, a form of, of political order that's focused on the freedom of the individual. And uh, when you get that combination, it's not just a matter of, of the infrastructure of governance uh, or the relationship of people to the state. It's uh, putting primary, uh, you know, front burner the idea of individual liberty. And that's, that's a particular kind of democratic conception. Uh, and it, it gives rise to things that are, are sometimes a little odd. I mean, take the Freedom Convoy, for example, which I reference, and uh, we're looking back on that now. Uh, some people saw that as a triumph of liberal democracy because it meant that individuals were reclaiming what right. they saw yeah. as freedoms that had been denied them by state policy. Uh, many other people, on the other hand, saw it as uh, a curb on their own freedoms because uh, public spaces, streets, and, and um, you know, common spaces in cities and on highways uh, had been retaken by uh, a small minority. Uh, so you can debate that endlessly, as we did. Uh, but both of them are expressions, it seems to me, of liberal democracy in action. Uh, so this is, in a sense, a very good thing to have yeah. this self-reflective character in liberal democratic discourse. It can be puzzling, and it certainly leads to lots of debate, but the debate itself is good. That, that's bottom line, and I think you were maybe suggesting some something like that, that uh, this is what we get when we have a, a liberal democratic order. We get endless debate, and that's a good thing. Uh, we don't want to shut down debate or come to conclusions that uh, are fixed. We want fluidity. Uh, we want some other things, too. We want transparency, accountability, as I mentioned. But fluidity in, in uh, political discourse is essential to any kind of thriving democracy, including liberal democracy, especially. How concerned are you, I guess, is, is the final question, because I know some people are very concerned and think we're really headed on, down a dangerous road on a slippery slope here. How concerned are you? Well, not, not terribly concerned because of the combination of being very aware of the issues. I'm not, you know, uh, ostrich with my head in the sand, uh, but I'm optimistic at our adaptability. And the, when, the, when the bells ring, eventually people answer the call. I'm, I was worried, I have been worried for a long time about voter turnout in elections, for example. People self-disenfranchising, which is a terrible trend. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have not yet adopted policy measures as they have elsewhere, Australia, for example, where uh, you have a mandatory voting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to go. I think it would be really ideal if people felt enfranchised and active. But you can see why they, they opt out, because it doesn't seem to answer to their desires. And that's really the key here, I think, is to pay attention to human desires, uh, what, what connects us rather than what disconnects us, and focus on that baseline connection 
which is the one that that we all share with any other vulnerable entity which is it's it's tough to be here you know life is yeah. hard uh and we should always remember that I think you're so right, and I, I agree with you. I think, you know, when it comes, push comes to shove, there are certain things that will hold up, um, but I think the threats are there as well. Interesting conversation, Mark. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.